Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections Radio Show and Podcast sponsored by KLM. And today's show is sponsored by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. We're coming to you live from Arizona, but we've got some people on from all over the country. So I'm excited to jump right in and introduce our guest today. Before I do that, uh, the, the purpose of this show is to collaborate and connect people together so that we can build a stronger community and work with people we love. So with that, I'll introduce you to our first guest, Nathan Havey. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you being on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am the writer and director of Beyond Zero, and we just uh, had the Arizona premiere for that film at the Grand Canyon University Basketball Arena on Monday night, where 2,200 people turned out to join us. So exciting. Wasn't it a cool feeling? I'm sure. I was feeling all your feels, I think, with how cool it must be that all those people showed up to, to something you created. It was, it's, uh, it was uh, three times bigger than the uh, past largest screening that was in the Netherlands, and I wasn't there because of COVID restrictions. Uh, so it was 10 times bigger than the biggest screening I had ever been to, and it was quite a thrill. Oh, so exciting. Well, welcome to the show. We're going to hear more about that in a few. Our next guest joining us, Rhoda Dion, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I am the creator of the companion curriculum that goes with Beyond Zero. And part of that initiative is to raise awareness around conscious business practices through the use of that film. I'm also a co-founder of 100 Months to Change. And Beyond Zero is the film that galvanizes our conversation with other individuals about how to create a world that works for everyone. Oh, so Um, exciting. It is exciting. It was it was crazy to to be in a space that large. I was also at the um, GCU arena for the premiere, and to know that this curriculum is going to go out and touch students all over the world, as well as the teachers that support them, and create this larger conversation at the level of youth, is um, super exciting. My whole body has chills at the moment. <laughs> you can't see it because we're, of course, <laughs> on, we're in on. Arizona. Yeah, exactly. So it's warm. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. We'll we'll jump back in. Our final guest is Diane Janofsky. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit. Of, for those of you who don't know Diane, oh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I am a reformed corporate uh, escapee, I guess, or I am an escapee. Uh, most currently have been a business coach and consultant. I am dedicated to helping organizations do good and do well. So no surprise, I found my way to conscious capitalism where I get to bring all that together. Uh, it's a perfect marriage of my career and my passion. So mm. I'm excited to be here and talk about it and talk about that wonderful movie experience Monday night. Really, really cool. And you're our chapter leader for Oh, yeah, the... that too. <laughs> she has a lot of roles around here. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Conscious Capitalism Arizona is a local chapter of the larger Conscious Capitalism Inc. And you're our chapter president. That's right. We're a we're a book, we're a movement, and we're an organization, and we're a definitely dedicated group here in Arizona. That's for sure. And a small and mighty team. Very mighty, including you. <laughs> Helping us move this movement, right? We want to yep. do better in the world. Uh, with like-minded people. So I can't wait to jump back into that. All right, Nathan, you're up first. So we all, I have, and I'm sure others have been thinking about this since Monday night, for those of you who did not join us at this huge event. Where did this come from? How did you decide that you wanted to create this? Um, you got to give us the backstory because I've been wondering since then. <laughs> sure, yeah. So the the first time that I encountered uh, the, the story um, was, uh, I, I think I picked up a copy of Ray Anderson's book, Confessions of a Radical Industrialist, sometime around 2010. And uh, when I read it, it absolutely changed my life. It, it changed the trajectory of my career. It was kind of the first time that I had encountered the idea that in, in the modern era, uh, business really is the force on planet Earth that organizes more human effort than anything else. Up until that point, I'd been a, a, a political and policy person. Um, I, oh, I had been a, a staffer in the U.S. House of Representatives because I thought that that was the the way the way that I could have kind of the greatest impact with my career in bringing about a world that works for everyone. But that book changed my mind. That uh, that it says that the well, like it or not, the way the world works now is driven by business. And so if if business Business does not step up to lead solutions to some of the major challenges that we face, then those challenges may not be solvable. And so I thought, okay, well, then I want to be a part of that. And so started to figure out how to do consulting, kind of like Diane, uh, just uh, starting wherever I could, which at the time was in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, working with just little roads, roadside restaurants and, and uh, uh, motels and stuff to talk with them about higher purpose and the pillars of conscious capitalism, uh, which, you know, there's only so much you can do, but man, they did well. It was good. But then it was uh, uh, a little bit later when I got back from Alaska, um, I started this storytelling series called Sum and Substance. And the Arizona chapter of conscious capitalism hosted two of those events in 2015 and 2016, but so did the chapter in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's where I got a chance to meet for the first time some of the actual people that work at Interface today. And they told me about these stories, both what had happened in the early days of Interface that, that were not in Ray's books and what had happened since Ray's passing. And when I, when I heard both of those things, I thought that it, it was just, it was even better than the story I thought I knew. And I couldn't understand why more people didn't know the story. Even a lot of people in the conscious capitalism world, even a lot of people that are in sustainable business somehow haven't encountered Ray Anderson and Interface. And so I thought that if that story had that much impact on my life and career, and I've heard from many other people who had encountered the story that it changed their lives and their careers, well, maybe there's something that can be done now to give that story fresh life so that it can be the narrative that we need to change enough of the mindset of the business world to have business really step up and lead the solution to climate change. Wow. Right. Wow. <laughs> what a vision you had. Did you know you had that vision and knew what, exactly what you were going to do with it? Or has it been an evolution ever since? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's my first film. Um, I, this whole thing was just a, a Hail Mary shot in the dark. I, you know, somebody <laughs> needs to do it and nobody else seems to. So maybe, maybe I can try. Uh, my, my dad's been a filmmaker for 40 years. And so I knew that he could 
you know, he and his team could help to actually make the film if I could get the story right and if I could put the deal together. Uh, but from that day to this, uh, I've been continually just humbled, I guess, uh, that, that the film has received the the um, the accolades and the attention that it has received. Um, I think the jury is still out about whether the film can actually create the kind of impact that is needed right now. Uh, but um, with as many people as are seeing it and with the attention that it's getting all around the world, I think that it's a very promising start, but the proof will be in the pudding of what happens in the next several years. That's right. Well, and I assume that the more people that see it, like you said, the more it, we can get it out there with the curriculum that Rhoda, you're working on, then it becomes reality, right? It, it's nice to see a corporation so huge that can make that impact. Okay, great. So in your brain, you know, as an owner, as a business owner in my brain afterwards and since then, like, okay, I'm going to start to make my list of things I can do. And I talked to some clients who I had come at the event and, okay, so what are you doing? And I can coach them and, okay, what are we going to do together for sustainability? Mm -hmm. We'll be each other's accountability partners. But if you don't have those people, you know, that will hold you accountable and, and do those things. This is a bigger way to do that. And, and I'd love to hear from you, Rhoda, how, you know, tell us about the curriculum and tell us about the plan. Ah, okay. The curriculum is, well, before I say something about the curriculum, I want to piggyback on what Nathan said about just sharing the film, because my last, well, my next to last ride out of Phoenix, I told the Lyft driver about Beyond Zero and the story and interface. And he looks over his shoulder. I mean, he's like, but it's just a movie, right? It's, it's a movie. And I was like, well, yes, it's a movie, but like, it's actually a true story. And and just the shock of this, this thing really exists. It's not just a story someone made up about how we could do good. Like it actually happened. I was like, yes, it happened in real life. And it's happening right now, still to this day. As far as the curriculum goes, though, uh, Nathan and I came together through 100 Months to Change, which is a global coalition of changemakers devoted to this changing business's mindset, but with a specific goal of hitting that by 2030. And part of one arm of that um, movement is to touch academics and education and that we raise awareness at the level of school and education. And I have over 30 years of experience in education. I suffer from long-term exposure to mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes, it's a long-time affliction. And, and I've also worked as an instructional designer and curriculum is a thing that I have a heart for, particularly making things that are game-oriented so that you can learn things about yourself and others in ways that reduce the emotional charge of learning. Because learning is a very vulnerable thing to do in front of another human being, which we don't often think about when we're teaching, but people are very much vulnerable in front of us when they learn new things. And so for a teacher to see Beyond Zero, to hear about it and decide, hey, I'm gonna do this in my classroom with my students, they also have to have some kind of activity to go with it to justify the class time spent with their students. And the curriculum is designed to solve that particular problem. And so teachers can bring or educators can bring the film into their classroom, but there's also a collection of resources that they can go to and say, okay, you know what? I think I want to have the students work with stakeholder theory, or maybe we'll just do a reflection and talk about how the movie impacted us. But there are varying degrees of diving in along with supporting materials 
for educators to use. Another goal with the resources was to provide someone who had never heard of conscious capitalism a framework, a platform to stand on. So there's enough backstory along with the movie for them to have a meaningful conversation with their students. Which is necessary, unfortunately, in today's society that we have to have. <laughs> we have to have the backing. We have to have the, you know, everything written up in a curriculum form that the teacher can't just decide something and come to the class and go, guess what we're going to learn today, right? You know, let's talk about real life stuff. No, it actually has to be, you know, approved prescribed. and prescribed and everything. So that's probably, I assume you're having some red tape, you know, different things with educational well, or hope not. I hope not, but <laughs> well, I'll say like the, the genius of, of Nathan's design and how this is put together. <laughs> yes. Um, Nathan, I'm totally cavelling you right now. Genius. The genius of, the genius of this design is that it doesn't pass through the regular filters that curriculum usually goes through. Wow. And, and because it sits as a resource that's, that teachers and educators can go to for themselves. They're, we're not having to work with, say, Common Core or an accredita- accreditation body for someone to be able to just pick it up and use it. It's just like, hey, I want to bring this into my classroom. One of the things that I took great care in when designing it is to make sure that there are learning objectives and there, there are things that an educator can tie back to their classroom so they have the justification. Um, my experience ranges from teaching second graders all the way up to graduate school. And so I've seen what the red tape looks like at every level of education. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I bet. But what a cool combination, you two. Oh my gosh. So I have to back up because for people, we're acting like everybody's seen the movie, right? Right. <laughs> I have to back up a little bit. Tell us. So to, so I'm going to back it way up. I, I want Diane to talk uh, to us about conscious capitalism and what people, because people don't even know tenets and all these things we're saying. Right. And then Nathan, I want you to explain what the movie's about you know, and then we can tie. And then I want to come back to this conversation because I was like, wait a second. We didn't, I get so excited. I want to hear your backstory and all the things, but I think people listening are going to go, what is conscious capitalism and what is beyond zero? So Diane, can you kind of take us through the basics? Give us the basics. No problem. And and I, I have that same excitement, Kelly, uh, both as Nathan and Rhoda were speaking I wanted to be writing my notes down. I should have done that because there's so many things. I have so many thoughts of (laughs) the strings I want to pull on, but uh, I think it makes sense that we start with the basics of conscious capitalism. And so um, I think I mentioned initially, it's a book, it's a movement, it's an organization, it's a mindset. There are tools to it, certainly. So you mentioned the tenants. They're principles, concepts, uh, we just happen to refer to them as tenants. And there's four of them, and they interact beautifully. They are inextricably woven together. Uh, The first one is higher purpose. Many people may say, well, isn't the purpose of a business to create profit? You must have profit, but that is not the higher purpose. One of my favorite quotes in the whole movement is um, an analogy that says, we need red blood cells to live, but life is not about creating red blood cells, right? That just gets to the heart of it. So 
Um, having a higher purpose that brings redeeming value to society um, has everything to do with higher purpose. And that I think we hear so much about with the Great Resignation. This is great timing to help people connect to why they associate with an organization. It's not just a paycheck. So higher purpose is the first. Um, stakeholder orientation is the second one. There also tends to be an assumption about business that it's all about shareholders or owners. Profit above all else for those folks. But what stakeholder orientation talks about is you have to strike that balance among all of the stakeholders of the business. Um, so the, the basic list includes, of course, employees, customers, suppliers, the community you live in, and certainly the environment. And that was where we had such a great hook to Beyond Zero because the environment is a huge stakeholder and it's the one group that does not have its own voice. That always strikes me. All the other stakeholders are people and they can, they can talk, but it's incumbent on us to make sure we're paying attention to the environment. And the list of stakeholders can become extended and stakeholders of stakeholders, and there's a lot of richness there, but I'll, I'll stop at that point. But it's balancing the needs of all those stakeholders. I think to me, that's the art of leadership. If it was really easy <laughs> to do that, uh, I think it's a little bit easier to make decisions just in terms of pure profit. Much more challenging when you have to balance those varied needs. So, um, and then the other two pieces that uh, in my mind kind of support and, and they go together is conscious leadership and conscious culture. From the movie, we're going to hear, I'm sure about, of course, Ray Anderson, who without a doubt is one of the preeminent conscious leaders. There is no conscious business without a conscious leader. You can try to create a higher purpose. You can identify your stakeholders. But if you don't have a conscious leader or group of leaders who are taking that seriously and leading, conscious capitalism won't happen. Uh, and then all of that comes together to create a conscious culture. See, I can't help but pull it back to the movie because uh, conscious culture was so powerful in this story that it, it self-sustained. Yes, it took the leader, Ray Anderson, to start things out, but the culture itself was so strong and so deeply ingrained that uh, it has continued to sustain this company um, interface in, in an amazing way. So, so those are the four tenants. We can't really talk about one without talking about the others, but it's a, it, our model is very holistic. And again, I, that's why I think there is an art to leadership and business management because we have to factor all these things in as well as, you know, the basic things like finance, marketing, <laughs> products. But the really successful businesses, I think, um, are the ones that can blend this mindset of conscious capitalism along with all of the other block and tackle, you know, elements that are needed for a successful business. 
Really cool. How's that? I could, that is, I could go on and on. You are so but. good at explaining conscious capitalism. And, and you know, it's doing business as a force for good, right? We want Absolutely. to make sure we are all uh, here on this planet to do good. And why not all of us help each other move this movement? So I'm excited to be a part of it as well. All right. We've got the backstory of conscious capitalism and, and the four tenants. Nathan, now tell us what the heck everybody's talking about oh, Ray Anderson movie. and Beyond Zero yep. and Interface. Yes. <laughs> Give us a rundown. <laughs> so um, the story begins in uh, 1994 when uh, there's a customer uh, that that Interface is going after. Interface is a carpet tile company. So think about any hospital or airport that you've been in where they've got all those little squares of carpet that run all over the place. Those are carpet tiles. And in 1994, Interface is a Fortune 500 uh, uh, industry leader in the carpet tile manufacturing uh, industry. And uh, they get a question from a customer, what are you doing about the environment? And the sales rep tries to answer that they're complying with all the laws and all that kind of stuff. And the customer will not have it they lose the order because they can't answer that question well. And Ray Anderson remembers the days when there was uh, all the machinery and all the staff ready to go, but not one order on the books. And he has a quote early in the film that uh, the next order is like the next heartbeat. And so when he loses this order, he takes it super seriously and he convenes an environmental task force to decide where interface should be on the environment. And that task force is headed up by a guy who has no idea what to do and asks Ray, would you please come and tell us what your environmental vision is? And Ray's like, darn it, that's, you are supposed to figure this out. So he resists and resists and eventually he accepts the invitation to come and do this, but he does not know what he's going to say. He's really sweating it. He's, he's staying up late nights. And, and at that moment, there's this book that lands on his desk. That's The Ecology of Commerce by Paul Hawken. And it absolutely is a spear in the chest moment for Ray, where Hawken's book talks about how all the life support systems of Earth are in decline. And that the best rationale that we had in 1994, which has since been uh, continually reinforced by science, is that it's actually human impacts that are causing all of that, and specifically the business impacts post-industrial revolution. And so Ray, as an engineer by training and in his brain, he accepts it as the truth. And he says, I'm responsible for this. I am a plunderer of the earth, and I'm potentially going to lead something here that that removes the ability of the of of the of the earth to support life let alone business going forward and i have to do something about it and so he walks into the meeting room on august 31st of 1994 and he announces his vision for interface which is essentially for interface to become a regenerative company giving back more to the environment than they take and the movie is the story of what happened at Interface over the next 25 years. Um, and I will just say that Interface was honored um, a couple of years ago by the United Nations um, as one of the uh, one of the greatest companies on the planet uh, because of the transformation that it had undergone uh, over that time. Now, uh, what the film does for us, though, is, is uh, it shows us a roadmap. Uh, where Interface took 25 years to make the transformation, it won't take 25 years for companies that are starting today. Many companies are well underway, but if we can follow the Interface playbook, uh, as Rhoda said earlier, uh, she and I and many others around the world are working on the 100 Months to Change campaign, which is asking us to have the ambition to see what, see how far we can get toward that end both environmental sustainability, but also many aspects of social sustainability by the end of the decade. 
and 100 Months to Change was launched on September 1st of last year, the day that there were 100 months left in the decade. And that was the day after the day that Ray gave his speech. And we actually met in the hotel uh, meeting room in Atlanta where Ray gave his speech to launch the 100 Months to Change campaign. Wow. wow. So cool. Like, like spirits in the room, right? That were guiding <laughs> you to launch that. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is really, really cool. Okay. So now tell us about the 100. Tell us about this new uh, 100 Months to Change Coalition. New-ish. New, it is. It's uh, We just had our one-year anniversary. And so, Rhoda, I'll do part, and then you you fill in anything that I miss, if you would, please. But oh. um, th- there's kind of uh, a couple of organizing principles for this. And so one of them is that everybody is on this journey. Um, and so we're not there to, to shame businesses or to wag fingers. Uh, we're here to sort of say this is something that we're all struggling to figure out. Uh, no company has all of this done perfectly. And as Interface is an example, they are a shining example of what the environmental part of this looks like. But Interface itself still has a lot of work to do on many of the social aspects of this. And, and the opposite is true for many other companies in the conscious capitalism movement. Um, there's, there's a lot that we have to get right about this. Um, and so the 100 Months to Change is a, it is a learning sharing organization where we've got leaders like Diane from uh, efforts like Conscious Capitalism Arizona that are happening in 13 countries around the world and counting for them to be able to come together and say, here's what we're doing. This is what works. This is what we're struggling with. And as we all share that kind of uh, knowledge and learning, uh, then I think that we can all actually accelerate what works to be able to deliver the kind of uh, progress that we must deliver before the end of the decade. And that's what 100 Months to Change is all about. Rhoda, what would you add? Uh, That we meet the last Monday of every month (laughs) at 9 a.m. Central, and all are welcome to attend and be a part of that sharing. Also that you can find that, find us on LinkedIn. We do have a group there where you can join as well as going to 100MonthsToChange.com where you can also see the things that you can take on as an individual to, to be a part of this movement. Really, really cool. Okay. So people that haven't seen the movie and, and hear about this fortune 500 company that gets an award from the United Nations. Oh my goodness. They must've done something right. Give us, um, and it can be any, any of you, you know, your takeaways of the things that any business, right? Big or small can do to help sustainability, to help climate change, right? What were some takeaways from the movie or from your studies or in your 100 uh, Months to Change Coalition? What have you heard? I want the audience to have some actual takeaways, right? We can all make this up in our heads, but it'd be better to come from the experts uh, of, of things we can do. Anybody can jump in. I will kick it off, if I may. Um, so I, I think that there's three really key lessons uh, from the film that that any and every company uh, can learn from, and, and, and they are. This is basically the higher purpose pillar of conscious capitalism as well, which is you really have to have a bold goal. You have to have something that is, that is, that is really, really audacious and out there. And that goal must be measurable. And so that's, that's one of the things that I think even within the conscious capitalism world, a lot of people uh, don't, they, they don't get the measurability quite right uh, because that, that organizes your effort. It, 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 it just demands a different kind of action than a, a good intention as the higher purpose, right? And so in the interface case, it starts with Ray saying, we're going to become regenerative and he challenges his team. You tell me by when. 
And their first answer to the question was the year 2000. And they were really wrong. So <laughs> in 1999, they realized that there was just no way. And so they re-upped the goal. And at that point, uh, they, they changed it to be called Mission Zero, which was effectively zero environmental footprint by 2020. So they, they bought themselves another 20 years, which is sometimes how it goes. But that kind of ambition, that kind of measurability is the first kind of key lesson. And then I won't ruin the ending of the movie, but what they did by 2020 is something that is, is, um, is, is dramatically remarkable. It shows what is possible in business. So it's, it's really exciting. The second lesson is that uh, Ray didn't do it, nor did the executive team. They set a bold goal and they set the metrics for it. And then they engaged everybody in the interface and said, we don't know how to do it. How can you do it in your job? What can you do to help us on, on advancing some of these key metrics? And that, that really necessitated a bit of a cultural transformation at interface that had the organization really mining the genius and the know-how mm -hmm. of the people that are at every level of the organization. And that is very consistent with the conscious capitalism pillar of conscious culture and stakeholder management. Um, and so you have to, you have to, to do that. Um, and so Interface did, and many of the game-changing innovations that happened along the way didn't come from executive teams. They didn't come from the plant managers. They came from assembly line workers and, 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 and others like them who said, hey, have we ever thought about this? And then one thing leads, leads to another, and they, they figure out how to do it. In, in, in procurement and purchasing as well, this was, this was throughout the company. They did this with all of their stakeholders. So that's, that's the second key lesson. And the third key lesson is um, Interface uh, became a quick student of a discipline called biomimicry. And uh, this is something that, that I think listeners would also really uh, enjoy here. Um, if you Google biomimicry, there's a woman named Janine Benyus, who's a, a, a biologist. And she's, she's created all of these incredible free resources that are out there for business people to look at. And basically, the idea is that life has been evolving the way that life works on Earth for about 3.8 billion years. And there's not an R&D department in any company that is anywhere close to that old. And so we might need to actually look at some of the genius of what sustainable innovation innovations have happened over the course of life on earth and learn the lessons for the way that we decide to make stuff, the way that we decide to deal with waste, the way that we decide to uh, accomplish functional imperatives for the things that we're creating and the systems that we build, right? And so the, the example from the film, just to give fo uh, folks a, a key idea here, is that Interface was trying to remove glue from their installation process, because glue has a lot of environmental consequences. It's a lot of cost. It makes it tough to get carpet back up at the end. There's air quality stuff. So they were trying to figure out, how does nature glue things together? And so they, they called in the biomimicry people and they looked at things like uh, uh, gecko feet and how they stick to, to different surfaces and bird feathers and all kinds of different things. And they realized that nature doesn't glue. There's very rare instances where nature has any kind of an actual chemical adhesive, but what nature does is they do they hook things together, like the, the hooks and barbules along a bird feather hooks it together, and a bird will kind of smooth its feathers out with its beak, and that's what allows that structure to work, and nature uses gravity. So with a gecko, it's actually just little teeny pads on the feet that can stick to surfaces that make it look like glue, but it's not. It's just gravity. And so the designers at Interface said, wait a minute, if we just hook all of our carpet tiles together, then gravity holds the whole thing down and you don't even need glue. And so they came up with these little stickers that you put on the underside of the carpet tiles that stick them all together. And now that's the way that all of these carpets are installed. 
And so it, it removed a ton of cost. It broke them out to an entirely new commercial market where when you don't have glue carpets down, they can become area rugs in people's houses, not just the big stuff that you see in airports and hospitals. And so this biomimicry is something that there are literally hundreds of case studies of companies of all sizes going to ask the question, how does nature do X? Whatever it is, is the thing you're trying to get done. How does that happen? And, and if they look at some abstracted design principles, but it doesn't look like geckos, it doesn't look like bird feathers. But when you think about the design principles involved, you often come up with these game-changing solutions that are totally in line with the efficiency mandates of capitalism and the sustainability mandates of ecology. And that's where the business of the future is. So, so those are the three lessons that, that I would offer uh, for people to take a look at as they see the film. Oh my gosh. So, so good, right? So much. So many ideas spinning, right, in right. our brains about how we can do this. Even, um, and who was it, right? And it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't Ray and it wasn't the executive team. Somebody in the company thought of to create those little squares to not use glue. That's, that's life-changing, right. right? I mean, anybody, anybody can install carpet now and not have to have, and my husband's a commercial electrical, he's also a fireman, but he said in those, in the commercial buildings, when they are like on fire trying to get stuff done, you can lay now the carpet so fast, right? So now, now you're talking about time. Time is... There's so much cost that ends up being removed. Uh, just as, because of time. Right. And, and added functionality and that whole growth concept, right, of opening up new markets uh, it's not just removing cost. It is looking for those revenue driving in the most positive way because you're meeting customer needs that they may not have even known they had. Um, Ex yeah. yeah, exactly. And now you have um, people that can, you know, your your tools, right? Your ideas. Now you can say to any company, okay, think of in your business, what can you do equally, right? Give give your your staff, your people, everybody now has a voice. I mean, that changes the culture, just that, right? Giving everybody a, a voice in your company will do, will do just that. All right, Rhoda, what's your takeaways or what are some ideas that you're thinking of that businesses, even people um, can do, uh, you know, for, for climate change and all these because of the movie? Yes. Thank you so much. And for mentioning people, because that's exactly where I was thinking about things. So two of the things that Nathan mentioned was the business of not shaming companies for where they are on their journey. And we also see that in the film. There's not a lot of shame being dished out throughout the organization. It's, this is where we are. This is where we're going. We're keeping track and we're just steadily moving towards our goal. And I think having a shame-free conversation about where you are in your conscious business conversation and where you are in your sustainability practice is hugely important, whether you're an individual or an organization. Because once the shame sets in, Brene Brown, if she was here, she'd tell us, <laughs> Shame does not generate action. Guilt will, but shame actually causes things like drug abuse, suicide. It leads to all the dark corners of our minds that we don't want to go. Shame does not work for actually generating change in human beings, much less in organizations made of human beings. So that would be the first thing. The second thing that Interface did that's not kind of like in lights is they asked for help. 
they went to someone and said, hey, can you bring that biomimicry thing over here? We need a team of folks who can help us navigate this conversation. And it's easy to sit in our house and inside our silos and think, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, you need an outside voice and asking for help can do that. Whether it's reaching out to someone that is at a conscious capitalism chapter or another business person that you see who's further along their journey in sustainability and conscious business, as well as places like the United Nations. They have sustainable development goals. I think there are 17 of them. And each one of them has their own nice set of statistics. So you can see a snapshot of what's going on in the world right now. You can see what the UN's goals are over the years and what the trajectory looks like, as well as things that you can do. They even have this great resource called the Lazy Person's Guide to Saving the World. <laughs> and it has four different, four different levels. The first one is what you can do from your couch. And then they get more proactive from there <laughs> in terms of you know whether or not you want to go to the hill and lobby all the way down to taking your bicycle to work. And, and recycling, maybe having, I love our, the screening that happened in Dallas for Beyond Zero. Our tags had, were made of paper that had seeds in them, which, you know, I've seen handmade paper, but, you know, it didn't dawn on me that people were actually making paper that had seeds in it. And then when you were done with that paper, you could go and plant mm -hmm. it. So just thinking about what happens to products after you've purchased them or after you've sold them as a business. I think it's more than 70% of a business's footprint often comes from what their customers do after. And Nathan, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong on this. What happens after their customers have purchased the product and how what the end life looks like for the thing that they produce. And so just taking that on at a personal level, like what am I buying? What am I using? What does it cost for me to sustain this thing? Am I really moving the needle forward on sustainability or am I shifting my carbon footprint to someone else. It's great that you're doing all these digital things, but we still need power to do that. And, and so making sure that you're really making that change and not just passing the buck to someone else to hold the bag for the footprint. So good. So Absolutely. Good. And that, that makes me think about there's a concept around externalities. I don't know if either of you are, I'm starting to hear more about that. Uh, but it's very much what you were talking about right there, Rhoda, that, you know, companies tend to measure their P&L, their revenue and their costs just from where their process starts to where their process ends. But to really understand the cost of pulling minerals out of the earth and what happens once something goes to a landfill, like the example in, in Beyond Zero. There's all those externalities that are real, but they're not included in the current P&L and balance sheets. Uh, and there's also a whole movement around integrated reporting on the financial side, uh, where we're finding there's um, strong interest in really trying to understand how to capture the costs and the value of efforts that look at the business more holistically. So that to me is a great uh, advancement. I remember in my early days of uh, master's in business studies, I was not an accountant at all, uh, but taking the basic financials and that concept of uh, goodwill. They couldn't really define it 
it was just kind of a placeholder that said, okay, well, you've got the assets and the people and the intellectual property, but we still think this company is worth X. Well, how, how do you reconcile that difference between tangible things that are on the books versus what somebody would pay you for an organization? And so they just came up with goodwill, right? Well, I think that uh, this integrated reporting effort, the way I think of it in my head is this is a way to really quantify goodwill. What what makes that happen? What makes one carpet tile manufacturer, uh, you know, more valuable than another? It's it's not just the machinery in their factories, but it's all these other uh, intangible factors as well. Wow. And speaking of financials, in the movie, well, something that that was shocking to me or a kind of a light bulb went off is most people, or I should say a lot of people think that being sustainable, putting in these practices is going to cost them a lot of money. It's going to be really, they, you know, the second you hear climate change and and all these things. Oh, oh no, I, I don't have that kind of money. I'm not a big business. I'm not a, you know, my, even though I'm a corporation, my, you know, bottom line, I'm only, we're at 1% profit or something crazy. You know, there's no way we could do this. But that was, that was the naha for me is that you can save money, <laughs> you know, and make more money, right? Conscious capitalism, again, back to the, the basics is, is you can, uh, it actually can save you a lot of money. So can you tell us, Nathan, for people who haven't seen the movie, the story about the, where they went to the hotel and they were testing it at the very beginning and kind of some quick numbers or, you know, even interfaces numbers, just to give people an idea of like, this actually is profitable. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the most pernicious myths that's out there is that, uh, uh, you can't afford sustainability. And, uh, uh, that, that, that right there is one of the things that as you learn more about sustainability, you quickly are like, Oh, wait a minute, I, I had this wrong. And so, so before we get into interface, um, uh, there's a, a one of the impact partners for the film is a, um, an investor and entrepreneur in the San Francisco Bay Area named Marty Nice. And uh, he told me uh, a thing that he tells other CEOs recently that, that I just loved, and I'll, I'll share it here. It's, he says that if you have a parking lot or any kind of parking structure, you can imagine that there were pennies just raining from the sky all the time. And, and you could either invest in mitigating the damage that those pennies cause in, you know, over time, it'll ding up all the stuff and you'll have to repave. You'll have to, you know, put new structures up there and all that kind of stuff. Or you can invest in putting a bucket out there to collect all of the pennies and drop them straight to your bottom line. And he said, that's what sun is. That's, that's what the photons from the sun are. They're pennies falling from the sky all day long. And you can either pay to mitigate the impact of those things, or you can put a bucket out there and collect them and put them straight into your bottom line. And so, so that's it's there's so many things that are like that. With, with Interface, the first several years of their process was waste elimination. It's just what do you define waste? Is it just scrap in a in a manufacturing process, or is wasted heat part of waste? Is wasted energy and fuel part of waste? Can we get ever more efficient here? And that's part of sustainability. That's also completely consistent with maximizing profit. And so, so there, there's things like that, right? And so then just a couple of incidents from, from Interface. Um, 
And there's a bunch more that are not in the film. Really encourage people to read Ray's book, uh, Confessions of a Radical Industrialist, or Ray's grandson just updated his other book. Uh, so the most recent thing that's been written on this story is called Mid-Course Correction. And the update is fantastic. So it's so a really, really highly recommend people read that stuff. But Interface did things like um, they, they, they helped a municipal landfill to pump methane out of the landfill so it wouldn't just go up into the air. And it decreased the, like the, the volume of the landfill by something like 30%, delaying the need for the city to have a new landfill by like 25 years. And it was a renewable energy source that Interface could use to get one of its early factories to 100% renewable energy all with this amazing win-win-win that they, they worked out over years and years, right? And so that was that was a net gain for everybody. But the, the, the big numbers that, that, uh, that Ray shared in 2011 uh, were that the, um, the total cost avoidance of everything that they had done totaled something like $300 million uh, in, in the first, you know, uh, well, so what, it, when would it, it would have been in 20, I think I have the year wrong. I think it was 2007. And so it's like about the first 20 years of their uh, of their journey, or first 10, what was it, 97, whatever. I'm, somebody else do the math on this. 15 years, let's say. <laughs> 15 years, uh, they had, they had, they had uh, avoided costs totaling $300 million, which he said more than covered every penny they spent on investments in R&D and deploying new technology and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, if you just looked at their sustainability efforts by themselves as a side business, that business would have been profitable. Wow. What a cool, I mean, just that, right? right? What amazing. And and in that concept of externalities, what they created at essentially no cost, right? No additional costs. They created positive externalities because of how much carpet and adhesive and other stuff is no longer in the landfill. So how, how do you measure that, right? That's always one of the big challenges. Well, and, and to plus one that, Dan, like, and their breakthrough innovations paved the way for many other companies to be able to use the tech that they developed. And so the, right. the classic example here is when, when they started, scientific consensus held that it was impossible to recycle nylon, which is the main fiber that's used in carpets, right? It's impossible to recycle it. But through partnership with one of their suppliers and a decade of work and investment, they cracked the nut and they figured out how to do 100% recycled nylon. And that nylon is now in use by Gucci, Stella McCartney, uh, Levi's jeans, right? And, and so th that's a major positive externality where the, the Mars Corporation calls this a non-rival good, where, you know, we're going to create this and it doesn't hurt us if you use it too. We want everybody to go be using it. And so Interface had a whole bunch of those kinds of innovations that created, if you, if you were going to quantify that value, I mean, where do you start? start. It's, it's just, right. it's, it's, it's incredible. Incredible. And and so that's why with conscious capitalism, we say business is a force for good. Our purpose is to elevate humanity through business. There's a lot of ways to define what elevating humanity looks like, but all these things we've just talked about look a lot like that, right? We we get it. It is hard to put actual dollars and cents to it sometimes, but intuitively we can all recognize that. Wow. I'd like to jump in and, and echo that and, and go back to that point about goodwill, because I think we have metaphors in our society already for what goodwill looks like. When someone says, you leave a place better than when you found it, that's goodwill. 
And if you're a company and you're making more trash than you can clean up and you're going to leave no planet for seven generations later, that is not goodwill. No. <laughs> it's, it's extractive and, and not helpful. You know, same thing when you go camping, you pack in and you pack out. You do not leave your trash in the forest. Like we, we know internally and in an embodied sense what that goodwill looks like. We just struggle with how do I put that into the container that we call business. I think it's starting with the younger generation, like you're saying, you know, starting educating the kids about this. I mean, they're already intuitively saying to us, you know, adults like that. No, that doesn't seem right. You know, my son makes us bring home all our recyclables because a lot of places we travel doesn't recycle. So we pack it in the car, you know, and try to figure out strap Good for him. I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think it's just starting younger. It's starting with those, um, with the education. And so that what you guys are doing with, with putting this into the education system is, I mean, I can't thank you enough for my kids and, and the next generation of people. Can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? <laughs> That's crazy. Have, haven't even scratched the surface. Not I, even close. I want to. I do want to be able to share with Nathan and and Rhoda um, the way that I look at the Beyond Zero movie um, is that it's like this rich tapestry with all of these threads running through it, woven together. And as I was talking about conscious capitalism, it is that holistic, woven together, inextricably connected kind of a thing. And so um, I completely lost my train of thought. I know, that's okay. (laughs) I'm visioning this tapestry. Yeah, So, so we're all woven together. And I just have this vision of being able to like pluck a thread and follow it and then pluck another thread and follow it. So there's, there's innovation, there's sustainability, there's the leadership aspects, the culture change. Um, I, I feel like Beyond Zero is just this phenomenal case study that is going to live on because Nathan has, uh, put it on on film for us uh, so we won't lose it and to allow um, education especially in Arizona we've done some things to make sure that we can make this movie available to educators and educational institutions in Arizona going forward that the richness of the material in there is you know we could do I don't know at least 10 of these podcasts <laughs> and just dig into some of that content so well done and wrote a good luck because I think creating curriculum on all of that, it's, it's a big job in, in a really good way. There's so much to work with. Yes, I agree. But it's so exciting to create. Like when I'm sitting at my machine and I'm thinking about what do I want to, to have someone walk through next? Like there's a higher purpose activity for students. There's things for them to evaluate leadership through the lens of the experiences they've had so far, or to think about who are the stakeholders in their personal ecosystem and how can they just create change with their friends and families. But like, I have this moment of a professor showing that movie and the student that's watching it is saying a for-profit company that's saving the world, say less. And they just walk out. Right. (laughs) And and they go build the thing because they're just going to see it. They're going to be like, say less say less. Oh, that's it. (laughs) Done. Like I'm going for it because I know it can be done when I'm not doing curriculum. I'm writing music and doing spiritual life coaching. And so I'm always 
entertaining like what's going to support wholeness and autonomy in an, in an individual, what's going to get you to make a shift, make a change. And people don't dream about bigger things if they haven't seen possibilities first. It is incredibly difficult for human beings to conceive of something better than where they are if they don't see examples of people doing that who came from circumstances that were similar or worse than theirs. And that's the perfect reason to have the movie, to have this, this is an example. Evidence. It's, you it's know, real. It is because people, like our visual people, most people want to see a story. They they remember it better. They learn it better visually. You know, I'm an auditory learner, so I'm listening to the movie, right? Some people are watching it. So what a great job. Great job. We have a couple um, before we go, because I know it's time, but how can individuals individual people, listeners watch the movie? A couple questions from the audience. Uh, sure. The The movie is still pre-release. I'm having, uh, it's my first film. And so it could be that some of this is my own ignorance, but having a difficult time finding uh, the right distribution partner for this that kind of aligns with our, our overall goals for the film. Right now, if you go to beyondzerofilm.com, if you mention that you listened to this show, then I will be happy to send you a private screener link. I mean, so that would be the way to do it. Um, other than that, you got to watch beyondzerofilm.com. Uh, we're announcing the different screening opportunities that there are around the world. Um, sometimes those things are um, public, like online broadcasts. And so that's a, a time that anybody in the world can see them. But that's the best way to know where the film will be. Good idea. And are you getting a good reaction from the younger generation of, of the, you know, from the movie? Yeah, the reaction that I think is actually the most important one that I've had from any audience to the film is I've, I've had this, this exact phrase said to me by many undergraduate professors when they use the film in their classroom. They say that the thing that their students report after they see it is that it gives them hope Yep, that it's not too late and that there is a way for us to do this. Um, and so that's, I think, the most profound thing that the film is doing right now. There go the tears. <laughs> cue, I know. The, cue the tears. <laughs> that's exciting. Well, I am so thankful for all of you being on today. Uh, please tell us, Nathan, you did say a little bit, but how somebody can find you and Beyond Zeros just one more time so people yeah. can write it down. <laughs> yeah, the best place for that is uh, beyondzerofilm.com. Uh, that's where you can figure out everything you want to figure out, about, figure out about the film. And most of the forms on that website go straight to me. So it's a great way to get me. However, I also want to say uh, for the Arizona listeners here, you can do a bit alone, uh, but it really is going to take a team uh, for us to organize the effort, make this happen. And in Arizona, Conscious Capitalism Arizona is the group that is really leading this stuff. And so you want to get, you, you, you know, yes, use the film, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. There are so many more stories that are inside of the Conscious Capitalism movement. And so um, what I'd actually recommend is go call Diane and get involved with Yay. Conscious Capitalism Arizona. Thank you. She loves that. She got a, a smile ear to ear. <laughs> I love talking about it. So I'm excited. <laughs> All right, Diane, you're up. How can people find you? Right. So um, certainly you can come and find out about Conscious Capitalism Arizona at ccarizona.org. I have a long last name. Am I okay to spell it? Absolutely. D like Diane, J-A-N-O-V like Victor. S-K-Y at ccarizona.org. Would love to hear from you. Uh, let's start the dialogue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Rhoda, how can people find you? Uh, the best way to find me would be on LinkedIn 
and to send me a note to say, hey, I saw you on this podcast and I'd like to have a conversation with you. If you're interested in making room for what matters most to you through coaching, then you can find me on my website, which is www.rhodadeon.com. So R-H-O-D-A-D-E-O-N.com. Thank you so much all for being on today. And I look forward to future conversations. You've been listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored today by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. Thank you for listening. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm -hmm.